you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Lord, thank you for uh, just your compassion upon us that is evidenced in your tears at the grave of your friend. Lord, thank you for already speaking to us in this time. Give us ears to hear as you continue to speak and give us hearts to be courageous wherever it is you're calling us this day. For it is in your good name we pray, Jesus. Amen. (coughs) Amen. I'm so grateful for this opportunity. Chad, thanks for the invite. And uh, as Velma Parton said, as I came in the back door, she goes, welcome home. And it definitely is home in so many ways. She uh, speaks truth all the time, but that time particularly hit home with me. So I'm uh, just grateful to be here. I'm grateful for for Chad in so many ways. um, Mike Breen, in a book about Christian movements, he expressed that any time that you've seen a real work of God that has continued for a length of time, what you find at the heart of it is a group of people who refuse to acknowledge each other in any way but family. And I hope what you feel and sense here at the Andover community is family. And I know that uh, for Chad and for me, uh, we are part of a family that uh, just seems to get deeper and deeper and more just just more meaningful to me. And so I appreciate his friendship above all things. So just uh, good to be here. And it's always good to be with Janelle, who I continually am the best of all the musicians. And she's a better person. And that's saying something for that. So we're so blessed to have her, and uh, it's great to be here. I would like a moment of personal privilege before I start. Can I do that, Pastor? Yeah. Okay, thank you. We regularly go late here. I, I am, I, I am, yes. Um, our, some of our friends in Georgetown today, at Georgetown United Methodist Church, are having a really difficult day. Um, their pastor, Phil Hogg, passed away this week, and uh, and if you can just imagine what they are going through this day as they're having his service today at five, what you may or may not know is Tom Eblen served so faithfully. At Georgetown as an interim, when Phil got sick, he and Susan went there and uh, filled in and did what they could. Um, and Rebecca Hyde, who's a dear friend of mine, have followed Tom and is there now. And uh, I just can't imagine being in their shoes this morning. And so could we have a prayer for them? Tom, would you come and stand with me? Uh, you don't have to do anything. I'll pray. I just want you to be the representative person of Georgetown First United Methodist Church and all the folks who love Phil. And, um, and just thank you. Thank That's you and right. Susan. Lord, we are grateful for the life of Phil Hogg. We may have never have met him, many in this room, but uh, his ministry has impacted us as he is part of this people called Methodist who are faithful to you. Lord, we pray for Janet, for the whole family. Comfort them in every way. Bring them peace. Lord, may the service today be a great witness 
of his love for you and your care for him. Lord, I uh, just thank you for Tom, for Susan, for all those who have uh, loved the people in Georgetown first and have uh, just carried them through this time. And I ask that you would be with them in a special way. Lord, the uh, feelings they must be having, knowing that you are with them, brings a lot of comfort to us. And may we add our prayers to those of so many. We all pray all this trusting in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Todd. Tom. The uh, the psalmist today begins Psalm one thirty by praying, "Out of the depths I cry to you." Definitely, the psalmist is in a hole somewhere in a valley somewhere. You can just get that sense. I don't know if the psalmist may have had. Uh, King David in his mind as he's writing this psalm. Maybe (laughs) David dug himself a great hole. Wouldn't you agree with Bathsheba? He found himself in a precarious position. It was not good. And maybe he had David in mind when he says, Out of the depths I cry to you. Maybe he had the, uh, the person Joseph as Joseph got thrown into a well by his brothers. Talk about siblings who loved one another. We've all been there at some point. He gets thrown, Joseph does, into this well. And he's there and he's looking up and out of the depths I cry to you. You, Maybe that's what was on the psalmist's heart. Not sure, but I do know this. He prays this prayer, this gives us this prayer, this psalm, out of a depth situation, a hole, a valley, if you will. And so the sermon today is all about those of us who have found ourselves in a valley or in a hole. Now, if, if you're not there, if you've never been there, or you don't anticipate getting there for whatever reason, you have my permission to do your grocery list right now, okay? Because this doesn't apply to you. Or play can- do they play Candy Crush on phones anymore? No. Um, what do what do we do? Okay, thank you so much. Or you could play whatever on your phone. You can do whatever. You know, just get your phone out because it's. But if you've ever been in a hole because of some actions that have led to consequences that were not good, or maybe there was some injustice to you, and you just found yourself crying out to God, I'm glad that you're here today. One thing that we find out that when we're in a hole or in a valley is that it is a distorted perspective. You're probably wondering why I have brought my milkshake straw with me this morning. It's because I love milkshakes, and this reminds me of the loves of my life. It's a milkshake straw. This is found on the end cap at Kroger at about aisle five. (laughs) Yes, I they are, they are just quite engaged this morning, so I love that. Uh, aisle 5 in the Kroger Beaumont, you can go there, and it's called a milkshake straw. They're smaller straws, but you don't want those because you can get more stuff through this one. Uh, the reason I know that this straw is this there is because it is important to me. I do a lot of smoothies. I do a lot of just other things that I need big straws to get out and all the goodness out. And for the last three months... The supply chain has failed me. 
horribly, I'm having to rewatch these disposable. Uh, yeah, I know. You do not want to see what's in, the, in here. It is not a good sight. But, I mean, it is. I have to. I absolutely have to. It is such a good thing to get all those green smoothie goodness out and milkshakes out and whatever else that I'm drinking through the straw. It is good. What is it not good for is for looking out from. Let me just say that you look awfully something through this small straw. It, it's distorted. I can't see on either side. I just see very small. It's very small. You should wake up now that I'm done staring at you. But the perspective through this straw is pretty distorted. The perspective in the valley gets distorted too. Sun comes up late and it goes down early, doesn't it, in the valley? Many of you have lived in a valley before, physically between two mountains. You know that you get rarely get direct sunlight. Everything you're seeing is somehow distorted and a little darker and maybe not exactly as it looks and you have to be mindful of that. You know what else? You can't see what's over the hill in a valley. You're not sure whether whoever's coming or whatever's coming is either to, well, make it worse or to make it better. When we find ourselves in a hole or a valley or some depth that we're crying out, it is incredibly important. We have a deep faith. Amen? Because getting out of the valley is all about perseverance. And what we're trusting in is incredibly important in those moments, and that's why I'm glad we're together today. Let's talk about how we can build faith and why faith can be absolutely not only had, but grown when we're in the depths of situation. The first thing you're going to find is that you're, if, in a, in, if you are in a valley, guess what? Your voice carries greater. Have you ever noticed that? It echoes. You can just, it's sort of like amplification. Your voice carries and people can hear you farther distances than they could otherwise. Can I just say that if you're in a valley this morning, God hears the cries of your heart. God draws near to those who are in difficult situations. He didn't run. He comes closer. And the cries of our heart are not, they are not falling on ears that are just selective hearing or who can't hear us, but God is very near and is hearing the cries of our heart. That in itself should bring us hope if we're in a valley today. What I love about the valley, it is at the perfect place, it's the perfect place in order for something positive to happen. Why? Because we begin to sense where we are and our helplessness. Many of you have uh, met my father before. If you haven't, he's a great guy. Uh, he uh, looks like me, only a much smarter. Um, he's a, a civil engineer. Was a re- he's a retired civil engineer for the state of Texas. He builds, maintains, and designs roads. That's what he did for his career. Anything around the house, I mean, he's an engineer. If you've known engineers, they can just fix stuff. They know how to do it. And you're like, how did you know how to do it? And it's like, it's just innate. 
Now we Google and watch YouTube, but you know, there was, there was a day when people just knew how to do stuff, and that was my dad. If something was broke, he's gonna fix it. If something needed to be built, he would build it. He can do all of that. Evidently, that sort of giftedness skips a generation because my true giftedness is to take something that is broke and make it exponentially more expensive and worse. That is one of my just spiritual gifts in life. So I take it and just make it worse, and it's just awesome. You need to know your gifting, what you're good at. You need to know when it's time to ask for help. In the holes of life, of despair, those are the moments we realize we need some help, and we cry out, Lord, would you just listen to me? Be attentive to my cries. Is the exact right spot for us to be in in order to receive some help. Why aren't we crying out in the depths of our despair? Is it because pride? We don't want anybody else to know that we're sort of here. Is it shame? Last thing I would want to do is admit this and others around me would know that I'm not perfect. So often we don't cry out because we don't cry out. And yet that's the very thing that we need to do. We need to admit that we need help. There's things that we cannot do for ourselves. And what you're going to sense in the psalm is that the that, that psalmist knows that. He goes, if, who, if you counted sins, who could stand before you? Who could stand before you? You know, and you're perfect, and we are not. It's the exact part, the exact place that things begin to get better. Right in the middle of the psalm, there's this great pivot. Did you catch it? All this despair, all this crying out, right in the middle, verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness. Scripture is filled with these pivots. But for Noah, but for Moses, but for Jesus. But for you, there is forgiveness. The psalmist realizes that if he will admit that he can do it on his own, there is one who can. There's two things that you need to look for when we look for someone to help. Are they able to help? And are they willing to help? I can attest to you this day that Jesus is not only able, he is willing. Why else would he have died on the cross if he wasn't willing to come very close to us in whatever place we find ourselves? That's hopeful, my friends. That is hopeful. The great thing about forgiveness, it, it isn't the end of the story. It's actually the beginning of the story. And the psalmist says, I wait, which is so strange. I've thought about that all week. Why is I wait after I've been forgiven? Well, I think it's because the psalmist realizes it may take some time to get out of that valley that we're in out of the hole we find ourselves. You see, forgiveness is instantaneous. 
reconciliation, renewal, that's a process. As Wesleyans, we call it sanctification, isn't it? It's the great work that comes after we have received forgiveness and been freed. It's more and more God making us like Christ, and that is a process. And so the psalmist cries out, I have been forgiven, now I wait. Not only say I wait, he says I wait twice to make sure that we didn't miss it. I wait. What do I wait for? I wait for the one who has forgiven me to free me for a new life, to reconcile me to those who I have been broken with, to restore me to newness. You see, the forgiveness frees us from guilt and shame, but it is this sanctification, this reconciliation that restores us to life. I don't know about you, I am thankful to be forgiven, and I am excited that it brings about a new life. Not one that is based on our past, but one that is based on his future. And it is in that spirit that the psalmist goes on the last two verses. It's a testimony to the people of Israel from a person who's been in the valley, who's been in a hole, who's been forgiven, and been restored, and now he tells all of Israel, Israel, hope in the Lord, for he is full of steadfast love and forgiveness. Hope in the Lord, for he will not let you down. He realizes that the great testimony that he has is not that he's gotten it right, but that he has fallen on his face and he has been picked up. This last week, so strange how God works. I've had three conversations with three different people at three different times of individuals who are in recovery. Three, not just one, and so God has to tell me things over and over again. Here's how all three of these conversations went. You would not believe the wreck that I was. Scoundrel, one of them used. But the power of God has changed my life. These three individuals, one had been sober, has been sober for 15 years. One has been sober for 36 years. And the story is just as fresh today. What a scoundrel I was. How broken I was. How I was on the verge of losing everything and did. And God picked me up out of that valley, set me firm, and now I'm here to tell the world that there is hope for you because you have seen what God could do through me. You know what could turn everything around? How the church could begin to impact is if we would be willing to be transparent in our lives like the folks in recovery are. And to say, I have been in a valley. God has redeemed me and set me free. And it's not just for me, it's for you too. What a powerful testimony we all have if we have faith in Christ and the forgiveness that has come. You know how recovery ministry or meetings start? 
You say your name, and depending on which one you're in, an alcoholic. What would change around here and every other place if we would begin our conversations with one another? Hi, I'm Todd. I'm a sinner. I'm here before you of God can change all that. I'm here to tell you that I've been in a valley and God has freed me from that. There is hope for you. And his name is Jesus. Amen. Amen.